Hi everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gercheck. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Robert Exley to our show. Dr. Exley is the president of Alvin Community College in Alvin, Texas. Hey, Robert. So glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, sir. It's great to be here, Dave. So can you talk a little bit about your college and why students select your institution? Uh, certainly. Alvin, Texas is just a little bit south and a little bit to the west of Houston, where you'd be driving from Houston to Galveston. So it's a rural area. Alvin's been around over 100 years, obviously. In fact, we celebrated last year a place called Stanton's, which has been everything from a hardware store to a grocery store and in between, have been in existence, family-owned for 100 years. And so there's a lot of history here. Our most famous resident and alum of the college here is a guy named Nolan Ryan. Nolan, Nolan pitched in high school here and had uh, a, a seven-inning game with 21 strikeouts. So, wow. so he and his wife, Ruth, are big supporters of the college. Uh, it, it's a very typical community college in the sense we have that uh, comprehensive mission. Really love the, the quality of academic transfer. We have some nationally recognized programs in psychology, uh, working on on opening up our very first bachelor's degree in, in, a, in applied business and business administration, scheduled to come online fall 24. So uh, that's, that's going to be real exciting for the first time. We have around uh, 5,000 students, give or take. Uh, approximately 40% of those are dual enrollment students. And so when we had about 390 students walk across the stage last May, about 225 of them hadn't graduated high school yet. That is so great. That is so great. And so that's that's a big part of what we do. We're fortunate we, we have a fairly large service area, but we only have to deal with three school districts. Oh. So how is it, you know, I'm always excited when community colleges keep moving up. And what I mean by that is on the academic scale, now you're going to offer a, a bachelor's degree. That must be a kind of a great feather in your cap. I know it sure would be for me as a two-year dean. It, it really is. You know, Texas has been pretty uh, friendly to that in a lot of ways. Uh, even before they passed legislation a few years back where all the community colleges could could start programs up to as many as, as I think four or five. Uh, before that, there were four community colleges that were kind of exclusively preempted in allowed to offer bachelor's degrees. Now, here's the kicker here, Dave. You can't charge any differential tuition because you're a two-year college. You have yeah. to do it all at two-year tuition rate, which for, from the consumer is pretty awesome. Yeah. We have University of Houston. We have a number of private schools. We have Rice University, obviously St. Thomas. Uh, University of Houston has campuses everywhere. Uh, I worked in a chemical plant about five years after high school. They never even thought about going to college. I'm one of those first generations, non-traditional students, went to San Jacinto College. Uh, actually was at San Jack when another pretty good athlete, guy named Roger Clemens was pitching for us. And so both Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit pitched for San Jack. And when I was there, uh, they uh, had one heck, of a, one heck of a coach, Wayne Graham, who won NJCAA championships and then NCAA championships at Rice. So I went on University of Houston Clear Lake, which was originally designed for upper level and graduate. Of course, those have all downward expanded now and are direct competitors, but it's a great institution. 
And then after uh, working in the clinical area, a psychotherapist moved to Austin and, and found out about a PhD program with John Roosh, Community College Leadership, just changed paths and have never regretted it. And so that so, so that was your path moving into the the president that where you are now, huh? Yeah, and it was it was amazing. I had an opportunity to do an internship under a gentleman named Robert McCabe at Miami Dade, pretty much a giant, and followed him. I worked for Eduardo Padron, who just recently retired. So I've been very blessed and spent time in the Midwest. But this comprehensive community college, you know, is a phenomenal thing. If you look back at the history, and I'm just refreshing myself on that. Everybody talks about Joliet Community College, very first ever junior college, but that wasn't what we think of. That was the University of Chicago's president not wanting to, to lower the standards of the University of Chicago, and they were getting too many first and second year students who didn't think were, were good enough to be at his university. And, you know, that's not where we've ended up, thank goodness, because we are that school. The, the thing that makes me just amazed has been a lot of community colleges. Our nursing program is better than any place I've ever been. Uh, this past spring of the last 12 years, our, our vocational nursing graduates had 100% pass rate first time on licensure. Sure. And, and you know, and, and give those students credit too, not just because they, they've chosen a phenomenal program, but they can get their two year in. And then guess what? The hospitals will pay for their education. So that okay. seems to be a smarter a smarter student than somebody who tries to get a bachelor's or a master's to begin with before they start their employment process. But you know, it's just it's just so unusual for for uh, one program, and this is vocational nursing for twelve years in a row, one hundred percent pass rate. And yeah, then that's... our uh, RN program joined them this year, yeah, and, and had one hundred percent pass rate. So yeah. uh, that draws people, lots of people here. Yeah, and you, incredible faculty, and they do a great job. And it's just been a stellar signature program for years and years. So does the L, so the LPM just bridges into the RN, or how does that yeah. work? Yep, that's good. Yep. We we are in the process right now of of developing the, that kind of ladder transfer, starting with patient care techs into uh, you know those nursing assistants. Then into the LVN, then all in the RN, partnering with some major medical partners around here to do that. They'll hire people in and say, we'll help you get get from a patient care tech if you want, all the way to an RN yeah. on DSN. Wow, good for you. Good for you guys. Well, what's new on campus then? Uh probably the, the newest the newest thing on campus is how we're going to be funded. Oh, let's hear about that. You know, uh, and it and it's got some some interesting uh, opportunities for us. Texas had not looked at their funding distribution. It wasn't a it wasn't a funding formula. It was an allocation formula, as you're familiar with, with a finite pie for 50 years. And then over the last year and a half, and especially the last year, we we were able to successfully get legislation passed and get this 100% yes in both the House and the Senate. Wow. That doesn't happen anymore. And the bill moves us to outcomes-based funding and includes non-credit outcomes as well as, as credit. And Wow, really? Non-credit yeah. outcomes? You know, no, nobody wants to talk about that. That's the biggest problem with teaching today. So, And so what we've got now is, uh, compared to last year, 25.5% more funding based Good on what you. we were already doing with outcomes. The associate degrees, transferring credit, if person transfers on. Even without graduating, we get both. They graduate and transfer. Dual credit students along the way 
get credit for us. And it, and then it goes into all the career tech and what are called credentials of high value. Wow. Well, what are you currently focusing on now to enhance the educational experience for your students? Well, I can give you the, the, the three things that are uh, highest on our, our priority. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's called dealing with having the right culture. And for me, coming out of COVID was, was tremendously challenging. Uh, I was president for 13 years in Alabama. And then when, when COVID came along, I, w- I went ahead and took retirement and moved to Corpus Christi so I could be my eight-year-old grandson's teacher while mom and dad worked. And so Anita and I lived lived in Corpus for a year, and she said, you got to go get another job, man. I'm tired of you being around. So I got this presidency. So the first challenge I faced was twofold. One was bringing us out of COVID safely and opening the campus back up. And then the second one was finishing some, some pretty significant construction. But COVID as an entity uh, probably had more impact on us as a collective and individually from terms of social connection and human connection leading to social isolation and what we currently see with extraordinary increase in anxiety and affective disorders in our college students and our employees. A lot of people talk about students. We talk about our employees and our students. And so there are three words. We want a culture that first and foremost is compassionate. We know you can't check your life at the door. Uh, I want to encourage my faculty members to be compassionate with students and we want to be compassionate for our employees. So one of the first things we got the board to, to go along with was a formal remote work policy for employees. And so that's been in place for a year and seems to have done well. The next word is encouragement. And we make a big deal about anybody's voice could be the voice that keeps someone okay. So we really want people to feel like they're encouraged every day. And the third one is make connections, get involved in student organizations, activities, get involved in coming to the baseball and softball games, get involved in the service to the community, build connections. And so if there's anything that's going on more than anything right now, it's, it's, I just keep singing that song over and over. Compassion, encouragement, connection. That's those are three great words to say the least. That's that's great, Doctor X. Um, how has your college adapted to the changing landscape of higher ed, including technologies such as VR or AI or or just moving more into online? Well, you know, I think we're very much uh, one of those institutions that reluctantly got into the into the modern era of, of online learning, uh, hybrid learning, etc. But uh, We've embraced it. Probably the most significant teaching technology is we are rapidly moving to eliminating as much as possible 16-week semester courses and going to eight weeks and eight weeks. Yeah. And that is, is through a lot of research through the Texas Guided Pathways and the schools who've done that ahead of us, success rates go through the roof when you do yeah. that. It just makes sense. Uh, we do have hybrid classrooms. Uh, <clears throat> we do have some of those that... Uh, really are hard for me to figure out and when they try to have uh, high flex classes where a student who is wanting to come to class every day can if i want to stay home every day i can if i want to do it asynchronous i can versus synchronous i I don't know how far we've got there but we do have an instructional dean all for online whose goal is to assure high quality online and uh, we see a continued growth in hybrid and I think that's probably the future. Now, AI, uh, chat GPT is a big conversation. 
And I think uh, <laughs> we've got to figure out how not to fight it, but how yeah. to engage it so that yeah. our students learn how to properly use. Yeah. Because that tool is too valuable for the future. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I do know that our academic VP and Dr. Huffman, who's over online instruction, and the other deans aggressively looked at the syllabus and tried to recraft some of our academic integrity language for students to to understand there are ways to to safely, effectively, and legitimately use Chat GPT yeah. versus letting it write for you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So that's yeah. where we're trying to go. The other thing, I guess. Uh, Texas has a lot of workforce grants, and so we're in the process of expanding and putting in place a state-of-the-art second uh, cybersecurity lab. Mm -hmm. uh, we have we have a number of programs that have been right at the front with as far as equipment from those, and, and ranging from process technology, which is all the, the plants that produce things around here. We have we have one room that's probably not more than forty by fifty with over couple million dollars of grant equipment on what you do when you work in a chemical plant, stay safe. Mm. So it's it's those things that are moving for us pretty, pretty rapidly. And then we have a really good, uh, amazing number of units in the Texas Department of Corrections where we have students and a lot of those career tech as well as transfer. And uh, it, it's pretty amazing when you go go to a unit like I did last Saturday and go through a graduation with folks who may still be in prison 15 or 20 years later, but they are focused on their academics. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize the impact that community colleges really help a community. Just yeah. shocking how much you guys do for the look, the look, the local community. Yeah. One um, of our, our greatest success stories is a, is a young man probably in his 50s now, who has a master's degree and is working full-time for us in a program called New Beginnings to help prepare folks who are coming out of prison to be successful in life. And his his own personal story is, is nearly uh, 28 years in prison. And all he did was get his whole life together and come out, and now he works with other people. <laughs> but he's just an amazing gentleman. He's just absolutely not a bit bitter. He just said, you know, I made a mistake, and I better fix it. Yeah. Um, you know, with the rising cost of education, everybody's struggling with trying to do something about that. So what are you doing to make education more affordable and accessible for your students? Uh, we work with our foundation extensively, obviously, to try to try to do that. The Board of Trustees is very, very cautious about raising tuition. Our, our current tuition rate right now is $51 per credit hour. Mm, that's pretty good. Uh, and if you're a dual enrollment student, uh, that can be as low as $25 credit out. And so we're trying to make it as accessible there in terms of instructional materials and supplies, trying to take advantage of, of as many OED opportunities. And you know what? OER. The, the, the other thing that's really fascinating as far as cost control is, is the, the state of Texas changing their funding model. When the state of Texas made that one change, uh, their percentage of, of funding our budget went up by like 3% in one year. Wow. Holy cow. Hey, do you do you have any caps on that dual enrollment credit? Wow, really? Nope. So it's always the same price no, no matter what, if they did 10 credits or 15 credits or five oh, credits? Oh, no, no. I, I see what you're saying. So it would be capped at a three, a three credit hour course, be about $105. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but I mean, but can they do more? Part of this funding bill that recognizes uh, financial need. And so if if students in their high schools qualify for free and reduced lunch, it's 100% free. I got you. Okay. Okay. And the state has anted up the money to make that possible. Wow. Good, 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 good. Um, What are you doing to prepare students for today's workforce? You know, we have from the very beginning in our in our programs of study those opportunities to complete a three credit hour class in learning strategies, which includes career strategies. Uh, we are doing everything we can to prepare our students in terms of we have a closed closet. So if you're going to go for an interview and you need a suit, come by and pick one out. That's uh, great. We're aggressively pursuing trying to figure out how to have a food pantry to deal with basic basic needs insecurities. Uh, and as much as possible, not just in career tech programs, but in transfer programs, internships, internships, internships. Yeah, that's that's the connection. That's for sure with with today's job market. And you know, and when we and when we talk about you know uh, today's job market, how do you how do you prepare students today for jobs that may not even exist in the future? <laughs> I mean, until maybe 10 years from now or five. I mean, how do you do that? How do you look that far ahead and take a student today and prepare them for a job that's still not ready yet? In, in my personal opinion, it's we've got to never forget that part, a big part of our job is help people learn how to learn and it'll try to light a fire with intellectual curiosity and then okay. to focus on credentials regardless of whether you're going to be an attorney, a doctor, or a process technology, or a cybersecurity expert, credentials are really what matter. And credentials should follow you kind of your dream. And so by building into all those programs of study and awareness of industry credentials that are valued, not just an industry credential for the sake of something that we create, but what the industry needs. And then you can see how things evolve and right. how things change. Uh, so two things, one is helping you learn how to learn and enjoy it. And yeah. second is to, to be confronted with, you know, things change fast. Programs of study can do that for you. You know, cybersecurity changes every semester. Process technology may change every semester. So there's all kinds of new equipment out there. Welding changes all the time on what to do with, you know, Lincoln Welding is probably one of the largest welding equipment providers in the world. And that's not what they talk about selling. They sell wire. They sell what you need to use. And they'll give you the equipment if you'll find a multi-year contract to buy everything from them to keep the equipment going. Mm. That's how the industry changes. Yeah. I, I really like teaching people learn how to learn. That's that's really the bottom line. I agree with you on that. And, and you know, what we used to call uh, the competency or I mean, how do you help someone know how to not surf the web, but to interpret and dissect and try to determine the validity of the information that's out. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a that discernment skill, that's a higher order skill. That's a cognitive thinking skill. And so to try your best to, for me, when I'm teaching, and I still like to teach, everything's an open book testing. Because I don't want them memorizing the book. I want them trying to figure out where to go to find the answer. Yeah. And be able to discern the answer because uh, I know this is hard on instructors, but I, I really like short answer tests. 
<laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Um, do you have any unique or innovative programs you'd like to highlight that kind of distinguishes your college from other colleges? You know, in our field, uh, as far as our community colleges, everywhere I've been, there's so many things we all do the same. And we all right. do the same really, really, really well. So it's easy to talk about those. To find something very unique and different, uh, you're going to be dealing with target program. I'll go back to that program of study called New Beginnings, where we aggressively connect with these folks in the last year or so before they're going to be released from prison mm -hmm. and get them prepared, get them out in the community, get, you know, make them aware, hey, you're going to have to pay for everything now and not. And so that's a program I'm incredibly, incredibly proud. Another is a very unique program that deals with uh, adult uh, individuals that may be on the spectrum or have other disabilities. And we call it a STRIVE program. Mm. And, and it works with industry and employers and individuals over 21 with life skills, training skills, and employability skills. And it's incredibly well known. We've got a waiting list trying to get into that program. And so that's the other one. Uh, the third one that I really am proud of, to be honest with you, is a program to train substance abuse counselors. And it's top notch and those folks do a great job. So, so those are there. Obviously we could talk about athletics and baseball and softball, but when you talk about really uh, things that are kind of unique, those, those programs stand out to me. Yeah. They kind of touch my heart. Sure. Uh, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, what other opportunities does your college offer for like lifelong learning in reference to uh, personal development more than professional development? That is such an intriguing thing. Part of my job at Miami-Dade for a while was running uh, continuing education for the Wolfson campus. But it's a different industry today with the advent of YouTube <laughs> and all of the online available stuff. So those kind of personal enrichment things have, have gone South. We right. partner very aggressively with the local innovation center and try to provide uh, connections through our community education workforce development program. We're in the process of finalizing a full corporate college. And the first one will focus around the healthcare because we have a whole industry of healthcare. And so it'll be all those from patient care techs to ongoing education for nurse anesthetists, trying to provide those things. Uh, we have not effectively gone very, very far, in, in my opinion, into understanding what we're capable of, but really trying to focus on entrepreneurship. They're a member of NACI. We value entrepreneurship. We try to embed that. And so through our local chambers and then sub-organizations sub from them that focus on small business and especially entrepreneurship, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in the Houston area. So it's a very rich place to be for that. Oh, good. Um, how are you collaborating with local businesses to create mutual relationships to address some of your regional challenges? Uh, you know, obviously the very, very first one is, is like all good career tech programs. They're very active advisory boards, program advisory boards, constantly looking at that. We have an overall uh, larger, uh, just general community advisory group we get together a year, twice a year and it'll include everyone from business leaders to education leaders to just people in the community that, that would like to be part of that and are constantly looking at what can we do. We're members of as many different existing organizations 
with our industries and the petrochemical industry is huge. So there are about three different large industry uh, community connection advisory groups that we set on and listen and try to respond to. Uh, the other thing really connecting with, with industry comes by being part of organizations they're part of. There's an organization called Bear Area Houston Economic Partnership. That's uh, some of the most significant major institutions in, in down around NASA and over to the Gulf over there that major players from Houston, major players from NASA and that space industry, major players from the petrochemical industry. We're members, active members of that and uh, provide information back and forth. And we'll run into our buddies in, from the universities and the community colleges there. And so connecting there and especially taking advantage of Houston being very close, that's just one of the large organizations we participate in rather than just, and I don't mean this demeaning, but rather than simply your local chamber and your local right. room, you got to look more regional. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you're making those connections. Colleges get together a lot on that. Yeah. So you, so besides the community and it sounds like you're making a lot of connections, you, you you're connecting with other community colleges too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in Texas, we have 50 community colleges. Nine of them are, are here in the Gulf Coast, Houston region. And uh, the, the nine together probably uh, represent 25%. Uh, it's more than that. Goodness gracious. It, it's an incredible economic impact. Alvin alone, our documented economic impacts about $20 million net a year in the, in the local community. So that, but you add San Jacinto College, you add Houston Community you add Lone Star Community College, Lee Community College, which are all very, very large. And collaboratively, the nine of us work together, do everything we can to share information and share students if we don't have the program and just make sure we meet industry needs. One of my dreams yet to be fulfilled is to have a fully online integrated, same curriculum cybersecurity program of study where we could share instructors and students. Yeah, that, but I bet looking at FTE and funding and all that, that kind of messes up the cock a little bit. <laughs> but I agree, that would be great for students if you could, if there was a way to share that stuff. Well, you know, I was part of a, a consortium early on with online in Iowa that we did that. And it's, it's simply, you keep your students in that section and you split instructor cost, regardless on which college the instructor's from. Mm. And so all the outcomes or for your college. And so everybody benefits because you can go with smaller sections because you're sharing the need. That's, that's it's always hard to get faculty, as you know, Dean. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, uh, with the rise alternative credentialing, I know this is, I, I know community colleges has this down pretty well, but for universities, they don't. But anyway, my question is, how do you see micro credentials impacting the future of higher ed? You know, because that that's still a buzzword for in the university world. I'm still hearing more and more talk about it. It's like, well, God, two year schools have been thinking about micro credentials for a long time. So, <laughs> well, I, you know, I think how it's going to impact us uh, is through Google and Coursera. There's just no way to get away. We're exploring aggressively an option with Google and Coursera on on through CE offering fully online cybersecurity certificates. Yeah. Because whether we like it or not, the industry is less and less inclined to want to be wowed by your academic credentials and much more inclined, oh, you really do have a true certified ethical hacker credential? Yeah. Hmm. And yeah. so we've got to do that 
uh, in a way, then that's what I think has become very clear to me is, you know, our competitors are going to be Google. And yeah, I, I agree. They're you know, we're going to be and Amazon. Right. And I, I had a, I had a, I had a Dean and our president in Arizona. He said that exact word. He goes, he's waiting for the day Amazon builds a campus right across from his school. And I, I thought, Oh, you're crazy. He goes, Oh no, no, no. That's going to happen if we don't step up to this plate. Well, I'd go further than this. They're going to have a virtual campus. That's going to be right inside his college. <laughs> Uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. Um, how is your college incorporating community service and civic engagement into the educational process? A, a couple of things. Going back to the STRIVE program, those students, as a routine part of everything they do, do, do service for the community. I require all my athletic teams to have, have multiple service engagements in the community, support the community, and, of course, multiple student organizations and programs of study build in. Let's go serve the community. I know one of the things that pops up in mind is, is there's a, a home for foster children, and there's a big project every year with Enios, one of our large petrochemical plants, to provide things for the residents there, all sorts of things around the holidays. And so our students engage with them and do that. Uh, we really do our best to try to move more towards formalizing expectations. And that's that's something that I did a lot through service learning when I was at Miami-Dade. Service learning is, is patchy here and there, uh, hasn't been as focused. And you know that civic engagement stuff and social justice discussions of the, of the past were much easier to have from the sense it didn't upset people. You know, that's, you know, after you say that, it's like, God, that was, a, I thought that's a great question I'm going to ask you. And it's like, oh yeah, I, I guess that's a can of worms, depending on what part of the country you're in sometimes when you mention that. So unfortunately, you know, here's, here's what I, I will say about that whole scenario. Uh, our mission has always been access and inclusion and come in and open arms, not just an open door. And we're going to make you successful and, and, we don't have an acceptance rate. Come and we'll accept. That mission never changes. And it's certainly not going to change because of all the vitriol right. that you may see in different areas. It's still why we're here, back to compassion, yeah. encouragement, and connecting. And uh, I, I would be as excited as anyone to sit down and show you the, the different ways that our students feel like they belong and they're connected and, and it's just it's rewarding i mean yeah. somebody did that for me my first mentor at san jacinto college was a janitor because i was scared of faculty members <laughs> but he kept me there i mean we'd we'd i'd get off graveyards and we'd sit on the steps and drink coffee of sometimes his thermos sometimes mine we'd debate wet mopping versus dry mop <laughs> and then he'd encourage me he said, you can do it. Don't uh, think you can do it. Yeah, that's a good academic debate. Wet mouth drop. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, let me tell you. Um, and, and you know what? And uh, you mentioned uh, some of your athletic programs. What what athletic programs do you have there since you've mentioned that a couple of times? Well, over the over the years, they've declined here at Alvin. One of the things I'm trying to do is, is, is slowly build them back. But currently, we only have have – Division one NJCAA baseball, Division one NJCAA softball, 
And then we have uh, on the club sport level, a new esports team. Oh, you know, uh, that was when I was stepping down as Dean, that was just starting to pop up. So how, how is that working out? How is that move forward? Are your students loving it and they're getting a lot of impact with other schools with that? Well, you know, we just started it. We had okay. our first, our first uh, season last spring, uh, and in our division and in the game we were playing, the only match we lost was the national championship match. That's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> so, uh, so we're we're moving along. It's it's not without challenges. We really need to move it into the varsity level and offer scholarships, which I think we will. But we've already gotten interest from universities contacting our coach, who right. by the way is Dr. Huff Mann, who I told you is in overall online instructional technologies and he wanted to connect with students so he's our coach and those universities are saying hey can we come down and check you out maybe we can recruit some of your students wow. the high schools are contacting us all the time saying do you really have that team we'll, we'll send some students down there but we've not connected it to an academic program of study yet and and in discussion with huff he's been talking to the njcaa folks and that's becoming more common where you'll either connect it to a business program of study or you'll be gaming mm-hmm. to computer sciences and natural, but connecting to that program of study and then building a lot of your academic assignments around gaming yeah. seems to be very successful, but it is, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit behind the times with my competitive presidents around the place. There's a number of us here in Texas that, that really enjoy it. The other program I'd love to have at some point is a fishing team. Absolutely. I'm from, I'm, I'm in Montana. You speak in fishing. I'm coming to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's neat state. We had a fishing team that literally had a kid uh, recruited to South Carolina to a small liberal arts university, given a full ride to be on their fishing team. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a, what a neat idea. I, I, that's a great idea. Um, there's a lot of fishing along the Gulf Coast over here. There, I could imagine. I could imagine. Robert, here's my last question for you is, what advice would you give prospective students and their families when choosing the right college or university for their education? This, this may sound a little, a little weird, but the first thing I'd say, don't look at price. Don't look at affordability. Look at value. Okay. Look at value. And the second piece of advice is, is you need to be thorough. Come on campus. Don't just go try to find someone to talk to, walk around the campus. Drop in somebody's office, introduce yourself. Just really look at what's going on, see what's going on. Spend as much time as you can, though, exploring what makes your heart not what makes your pocketbook. Yeah, good advice, good advice. Because if you follow your heart and you really, really do understand value, then you know what? The size of the pocketbook is less important than if you're just chasing a dollar. Sure. But I also would advise them very, very carefully to see higher education as an opportunity that only will pay you back if you just grab it by the throat and jump in and make it what you need it to be. I have a little thing I do with new student orientation. So we may have 75 students in new orientation and you go in there lined up in the rows, right? The front rows are always empty, always empty. I'll walk along that empty and I'll pull out a gift card and I'll just lay it on chair and I'll walk down and found another one, lay it on another chair. 
and it's real quiet. And I say, sit in the front row, you can have a gift card. Pretty soon, one of them will wander up there and sit down, and then another, and and uh, and they said, really? I said, yeah, that's yours. <laughs> and the rest of the group are going. And then I say, that's an example of opportunity you got to take advantage of. That's yeah. your education. You're here, but unless you go make the education what you need it to be. And if you're that way, I think it becomes natural with school. It becomes natural with school. But if you're just shopping by by dollars, and that's not so much on the community college side as it is folks who feel like I've got to pursue that elite, higher, really expensive institution. But to me, San Jacinto College costs $4 a credit hour when I went. If I didn't have that degree, I wouldn't have a bachelor's, a master's, and a doctorate. Yeah. And so that four dollars, the return on investment on that, <laughs> think about it. Pretty Again, darn good. <laughs> and just from a human development standpoint, no way. My kids never thought about going to college. It was which one? Yeah. I never thought about going to college, period. Because nobody had done that before. Well, what great comments to end our show today. Robert, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. Maybe it was fun. Uh, we need to find out that you're going to be somewhere down here. If you'll take me fly fishing, maybe I can absolutely. Uh, we'll we'll make a we'll make a day of it for sure. All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Academic Dean is sponsored by Myers-McRae Executive Search and Consulting. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.